0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Camilo!
2: Robbie Robbie weekly. Little
1: reverse pass. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to The 42 Rugby Weekly, Gavin Casey here and I'm joined as always by my esteemed colleague Murray Kinsella of The42.ie. Murray, how are you? How's your week been going? I'm great, Gav. Thanks very much. How's the form there? Super. I'm down west and life is a lot simpler all of a sudden. Things are going really nicely. Bernard Jackman, delighted to see your face as well. How are you?
1: Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Excellent.
2: Brilliant. Busy week, Mur, with uh, David Nusafora's biannual address, state of the nation address. Some state the nation is in, by the way, but uh, we'll get into all that a little bit later on and chat about some of the topical stuff happening at the moment as well. I wanted to begin with news that just broke this morning as we record on Thursday of Sean O'Brien's exit from Connacht. He's joining Exeter. It was on the cards for a while, really, Murray, wasn't it? I'm not sure how widely it was reported, to be totally honest. It was one of those where you just kind of catch it through the grapevine and presume it to be fact and I'm not sure that any comic fans are necessarily surprised. We know what kind of player Exeter are getting as well. And it's interesting to hear Rob Baxter pretty much straight off the bat talking about O'Brien being in contention for starts. He sees him as a guy not necessarily for the future or some kind of project, but a guy who can bolster their efforts immediately.
0: Mm, a fantastic move for Sean O'Brien. And this is actually something David News 4 was asked about yesterday in his, his State of the Nation address and briefing. Um, and how a player who's shown real ability is is leaving the Irish system. Um, so this has obviously been in the, in the works, in the background, as you say, for a long time. Connacht obviously had to make their plans for next season. They had to settle on their squad. Obviously, we know that budgets are limited all the more so now. And they had decided they had enough strength and depth with their centres. Um, and in fairness, there are quite a few centres there. Injuries have opened the door for Sean O'Brien more recently. But that decision was made by Connacht. I suppose not to contract him prior to that run of form that he's had and the run of form has been absolutely outstanding I think he's defended really well he's looked really energetic hungry looked like a guy who's been starved of opportunity and just shown how good a young player can be when they finally get a chance to play games so in one sense yeah Irish rugby is is losing a a player of of high quality but at the same time there had to be a decision made there and in fact I don't agree with everything David Nusifora said yesterday but this is the ones where I can kind of see where he's coming from you know, he was asked, why didn't you put him in a different place in the Irish system? Um, but you look around the provinces and there are quite a few high quality centres. There are quite a few young centres who have shown their own potential over the last couple of seasons even. And short term as well. So sometimes it's very hard to fit every single player in. Particularly a guy like this who's had this late spurt in the third year of his academy. He's 23 now, so he's not exactly a kid anymore. And... Um, But at the same time, a a great prospect. And I wouldn't be surprised he goes over there, does really well and is certainly of interest to the Irish system again in the future. I'm sure he has ambitions of playing for Ireland. Of course, he he should. He's a a young Irish player with loads of more potential and potentially could return home. So I can understand disappointment at losing him, but I can probably see it from the other point of view as well.
2: Yeah, Bert, we've called for similar in recent episodes, really, haven't we? Allowing Irish players to find a different pathway, maybe... Uh, take a detour abroad for a few years develop that way we can keep an eye on them and whether they come back or not they become better players the prospect will always be there of course for O'Brien to come back he's from Mullingar isn't he so you could see him maybe lining out for Leinster at some point in his career um, but your impressions of the move overall?
1: Look, no, but I think it's brilliant for him um, Rob Baxter takes great pride in his ability to to find rough diamonds and uh, improve them and if you look at his recruitment over the last twelve years. Um he's been an absolute genius at that. And I would say probably, you know, not many other directors of rugby in, in in the premiership would have made this move, you know, or or been able to do it three months ago before Sean O'Brien showed on the in Pro fourteen how good he is. Um I, I know while I'm absolutely in favor of young players being able to go abroad and get game time this isn't the situation that i i would be in favor of in terms of just letting the free market control it so the reason he left was he had no offer from from Connacht um you know and i would say what we've seen of him what i hear about him is he probably has the potential to push through in in Irish rugby and get lots of game time um and I, what i would be in favor of is is you know you, you contract your your roof diamonds or your high potential players and then you work on how you're going to get them game time but you still keep control of them. Um, and if you look at, you know, in a, in a, probably I wouldn't be letting them go to a club like Exeter uh, because they're so good and, and they're so good at keeping players happy. And it might be harder to get them back from there, um, you know, or, or you go, he goes on loan to Exeter for a year, you know, uh, but he has a, a two year contract with, with Connaught or, or or whatever. So it's just a case of you lose control by not actually having that flexibility um, in the system or not having any real individualized uh, plan for for high potential players and 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 there's not that plan we use we, we so many examples of one you know question marks around why players aren't getting game time why certain players aren't moving etc it's one size fits all it's a very generic model and the cream will rise to the top and and the cream does normally rise to the top but there is there are players out there um who maybe need a move into the right environment um at the right time to see the potential um uh, explode and even look at exer Tom O'Flaherty was playing in the Welsh in the Welsh uh, club game uh the, the someone you know, it might be that common and uh, might be well known to the listeners but he was out absolutely standing against Leinster in the in a quarter final of the European Cup he was playing in the club game no region in Wales uh, picked him up and he's very much immersed now in the extra chiefs environment and who knows where he'll end up playing international rugby um whether it be for for Wales or, or England. So in that aspect in that example Wales lost control of of uh, of an asset. Now they didn't see that asset at the time and that's that's fine. We knew Sean O'Brien was a quality player, I think. Uh you'd have to hope that the the players the coaches who work with him day in day out could see that before we did. And I just think we've let him go and um yeah, I, I don't see uh, I, I said, I don't have any issue with him going to get game time, but I'd love to see him still contracted to and having a having a, a control and that having a close link to him and uh, making sure we know where he's at and making sure he knows that there's a home for him here rather than just cut him loose and you know hope that in two years' time he's developed into a, a top end player and he wants to come home. and that's that's what happens when you when you make a decision like this because of markets. Uh, market forces rather than actually, is this the best thing for this player at this time? And I, I don't even think for him. I just, it's just a really good example of how we're not really like Jack Crowley. I said last week, going into the 7th program, for me, it's a load of nonsense. It's not what he needs. He goes back to Munster, he gets on the bench, um, you know, and comes on last week at fullback. Uh, you know, I, I just think on an individual basis, there's probably only 15 or 16 players who need a little bit of an individual plan and someone who has the kudos. To actually make decisions or help make decisions on that, and yeah, I think that's missing. And for all the talk about models, um, uh, you know, m- the model is just a is just a term um, that sounds really fancy, but the stuff we see day in day out it, it isn't uh, has no individual um uh, pathway that I can see being uh, implemented.
0: To just to reiterate that, I think the key point one for me that you made loads of good points there, Birch, but it, it's like. That- Contact with him, like keeping him part of the system even if he's not part of the system. There is an IQ Roby branch now with three full-time employees. You have to hope that they're in regular contact now with Sean O'Brien over the next few seasons, keeping him in the loop, keeping him understanding what's going on back at home, where there might be opportunities, where contracts are, are opening up and if he's showing that potential to really work hard to get him back here because they're not going to change their stance on on players based abroad new Sephora kind of reiterated that yesterday he said we don't want to weaken the provinces by players going abroad he said uh it probably does make sense at the moment for Irish rugby to allow French English Japanese clubs to pay their players but he believes it would weaken the provinces so for me like as I said I can understand how this has come about and while he's shown potential in the last few months like you're saying Birch the coaches maybe should have seen that but it's clear enough that they probably didn't see that when they made a decision and they saw that they had five other centers in connacht they looked around munster leinster everywhere else connacht ulster all the provinces have good young players coming through in that position and they made this decision but you have to hope that the scope is there for him to be a bit of a tide burn to go away have his own journey develop in a different way like what an unbelievable place to learn his rugby it'll improve him as a player uh, undoubtedly working under baxter and his excellent coaching staff and that there is that possibility and there is that relationship there maintained and even strengthened while he's been away that if he shows he's he's top class he can come back
1: Merv uh, I don't agree with you uh, I, I think um, uh, look at uh, it's, uh, I understand your point but um, think about what, what is a player what, what matters to a player in terms of making him believe that he's valued by the IRFU what, what, what's the most important thing?
0: Getting a contract, but like
1: yes. Okay, sorry, so there there's the, that's the start. So whose
0: spot does he take, Bert? Like who who's who, oh, no, who misses out on game time on a contract, especially now the budgets are even tighter? Like
1: Yeah, I understand it's a difficult decision to make, okay? And and there has to be fall guys, and there's fall guys in admin jobs, there's fall guys. Um in player contracts we saw Munster with you know quite a few high-profile ones. Um I'm talking about and I, I would argue maybe some of the Munster ones, you know, we've those players have had a long stint. And we know what they can do. And that there was a decision made based upon the realization of their uh, of their talent. So knowing what their maximum is. I think with Sean O'Brien, um, there's a there's a gap there, there's a margin for improvement still. Okay. So he could look at every player could become, you know, a, a top class player or become a, a starter for Ireland. But realistically, there is enough we see in him to think, yeah, he actually has a genuine chance at it. Okay. Yeah, he actually has a genuine chance of improving. And my argument, is, like my argument to you is, and I've been in the situation, uh, and I played in, in England. Um, you know, now I went on my own uh, on my own choice. But I, um, but if you have, if you've been let go, and Rob Baxter and extra chiefs in this example, show they rate you. Okay, by actually putting their money where their mouth is and giving you a contract. A guy turning up in an IRFU tracksuit every now and again to buy you a cup of coffee, isn't important. And also, Rob Baxter will want. Uh, that player to completely focus on what Exeter want. Whereas if if the situation is a little bit different, you contract that player, you loan him out to Exeter. Well, then there's an onus on on the club who, who have maybe they pay a little bit less, so you share the costs. It's it's a it's a it's a partnership then, okay. And again, I mean, like it's a question. The question is around the player. It's not. I don't think every player should be kept. I, I, I'm in favour of some players who can't get game time. You know, just cutting, cutting loose, and, and Brian Byrne in Bristol is a great example of someone who's who's gone over there and just played week in, week out, uh, and must be enjoying it. Looks better. It's not that's not an issue. I'm talking about those. You know, thirteen is a hard position to to play. Okay, so in Ireland we've lots of depth, but who have we from the age? Who have we twenty two and younger that we can say? You know, how many of those my thirteens are, are between the age of sixteen and 20, 23 Who we can say right? Um these guys have the potential to replace Gary Ringrose or, or, or Robbie Henshaw or whatever. I don't think there's, there's more than five. There's more than five who have done enough.
0: Yeah, but like I'm just talking about when they made... and like I'm not trying to talk down Sean Ryan's bear. I think he's excellent. As I said, I think his form's been brilliant. But when they had to make a decision, he hadn't even really played for the senior team. And now he's had a run of four games, which is what it is, really. Um, and I, I'm guessing that they didn't feel they could rip up their plan based on that kind of short-term... Uh, run i suppose like look at ulster james hume has been brilliant like you don't want to push him out of place stuart moore has come through he's been excellent you've got to keep the likes of luke marshall around your squad in leinster they've got conor o'brien his older brother um and tommy o'brien and jimmy bryan have shown potential at 13 um like stalwarts like rory scannell rory O'Loughlin in in midfields they're important players who've shown they can perform at a relatively high level for longer periods over the course of their careers so i'm just saying i can understand where the squeeze was now particularly with budgets with with budgets cut i agree (laughs) with you totally that you can adapt and shift the model to integrate more players or to find a source to keep players on board as you say with a loan system or with a genuine link to another club based abroad um so yeah i I can agree with you on that front
1: No, no, come in, look, at I, I'm not blaming Connor on this because I, I I presume that they knew this guy had talent, right? Because it's very rare a guy trains really badly. You don't see any glimpses of it. And then they come in and play and look so comfortable. That that doesn't happen very often, right? And also, let's be honest, he hasn't landed from Mars. He's been in our system. He's played under-20s. He's played for Clontarf. He's been around, right? So we have, we have a talent ID uh, department who apparently have data, information, footage... On all these players, so like my point is, when Connacht give that list back to David Nusifora or whatever, and say these are the guys we're contracting or we want to contract, these are the guys we let go. Is there no red flags? Is there no stars after certain players? Because I think in this situation here, if I if you have the if you're focused on keeping the best players in Ireland, which we're told. That is the focus because you can't play outside and the best place to be in our for every player is to be in Ireland. Well, then you have these players earmarked and you ask Connacht back, well, why are you letting go of Sean O'Brien? Because all our talent ID models and data tell us he is number six in the depth chart or, or he's one of the top young underage 13s coming through. Can we be flexible here? Can we? Can you find the money somewhere else? Because let's be honest, it wouldn't be a huge amount of money. Um, can we find the money somewhere else? Um, is there another player you can let go who maybe has reached the maximum? Um, do you need that that seventh um, seventh lock, or can we give you? Can we front load some of the money we're going to give you in two years' time so we can keep him? That's the stuff that has to happen, Murray. Um, in my opinion, like it, it doesn't make sense to me that um, that we can't. Like I love the fact that that Munster and Nu Sephora were able to to find the money to get Zebo. Okay. I, I love that. That's shown that's shown, okay, maybe he won't get back in the Irish team, maybe he will. But it's helping Munster be stronger, right? And that's what the IRFU should be doing, helping the provinces be stronger. And I just think in this situation here, for the amount of money that was involved, um and like if if we knew he was good, why wouldn't why wasn't there some way of trying to find a way of 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 keeping him in our system, and even let have Connor have an extra centre on the roster for for a year. A year that is going on the Lions tour, we know players tend to 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 miss a little bit more the year after. Like there's lots of little things that you can you can sit down and talk about. Uh, and um, and again, like it's just my opinion on it, but uh, I I don't see I don't see how with such a small player base, four teams, everyone aligned, we all know everything. We're, we've got data coming out of our ass. Uh, and we can't actually go right. There's a player here about to leave. Um, can we actually think about something that we could do? Like it does. Like what chances? What chances is the Sean O'Brien who hasn't, who's a late developer? What chances is the Sean O'Brien who, who can't get to England? You know they've no chance. They're they're gone because the club game has been written off. Unless he's a seven specialist, he he's finished. And they're out there. The Tom O'Flahertys of are in our game. They're in our they're in Ireland. They're in Ireland in the club game. But there's there's no way for them. Mm. I suppose are like a-
0: yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm sticking up for 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 IFU here, but I, I do. No, want, like there's only point. four provinces, um. There's only a limited number of spots. I mean, there's so many players who've missed out who've been probably as talented or nearly as talented as Sean O'Brien is. Some more who can't get through, and that's a strength of the system as well. Is that the squeeze is so tight. I mean, yeah, you could absolutely make an exception for Sean O'Brien, but why not make an exception for loads of other twenty-three-year-old guys who've played a, a handful of times for a province and just haven't quite pushed through while they're in the academy like it didn't happen for him because there was other good centers there um conic at the moment can't even afford another loose head prop at the at the moment they're going into the next season with seven maybe down to six now with dennis buckley injured so yeah it might only be a small amount here and there but i think you have to make hard decisions at times and and this is one of them and it's it's it was probably brutal on sean o'brien but he's landed on his feet which is which is the best thing he's got a great move and um, i'd be hopeful to see him back
1: yeah, just to reiterate, absolutely you have to make hard decisions. It's probably the most ruthless um, you know, profession you can have. But if you're in a system where it's not about today that matters uh, and there's a long-term plan and it's, it's Team Ireland and, and everything goes towards the national team, I, I don't see the, the logic in letting somebody who's already shown... I don't agree with you that he, he hasn't shown...
0: Um, but he's, when they made the decision uh, he, he hadn't players. really played like he, he, and again I'm not trying to criticise him but he hadn't really played for the senior team when they made the, the call like and it does it highlights a weakness that players don't get a chance to show how good they are and then the decision is made and then they, he gets a chance with injuries opening up and, and he gets a chance to show like it must be hard I don't know as a coach as, a, as so, someone in those decision making uh, places to make a really rounded decision without seeing them play and that was probably the case here
1: yeah after,
2: James we're going to have to yeah. Gents, we're going to have to call it a draw. I know no, this. No, answer, no, no, so no do not I accept
1: I
0: Accept defeat. Accept defeat. Uh, not, not that that's what it's about. It's really interesting to get a different p- viewpoint, and and absolutely, I, I accept all your points. I think they're all really valid. Um, I suppose I see
1: it slightly. Yeah, under- just the last point on it. I'm not. I don't think every player who plays five games for the province should be kept. That's completely not my point. Uh, my point is that if there's a if there's financial decisions to be made, and in COVID there has to be financial decisions, I would. I would look at can we can we not recontract a, a, a guy who's reached the top of his potential, who's maybe a squad player, and keep the player who in two years' time maybe is a, a match winner first. That's all.
0: But if you sorry, if you were the head coach, would you not want the proven squad player? You know, yeah, if your job is on know? the line in terms of winning matches I, and losing matches.
1: Absolutely, but this isn't Ireland. Isn't run like. As uh, as probably cutthroat as the top fourteen or France, um, and this is where you go to the union and you you explain or hopefully they already know if, if if things are right they already know in New Zealand rugby in New Zealand rugby uh, they would find a way of of being flexible in keeping their 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 best talent that, that that's my point.
2: Yeah, I know listeners didn't want to hear me interject there, but we do have to move on we've other things to chat about some of it tangentially related to what we're talking about now and we have a bit of a a deadline or a time limit as well um murray kieran pearson had a question which uh, is related to this and he was wondering with Connacht confirming the signing of Leva Fafida, are there any rumours or negotiations around the other provinces of more players coming during the off-season that you know of? Any particular names popping up or positions that provinces are eager to get more depth in?
0: Well, according to all the head coaches, they're, they're finished. and Andy Friend said that the other day. Uh, he did kind of have the qualifier of that loose head prop slot. I mean, Dennis Buckley was getting his scans this week. Obviously, they're, they're fingers crossed, but it looked pretty bad. Everyone could see that. And even by his own post, I think on Instagram, kind of confirms as much. So he could be missing into the start of next season. And as I said, that leaves them down to six props, which is a, a really low number uh, as you get going in a new campaign. So I'd imagine they'll be going and asking, as Bernard said there, about um, maybe increasing the budget slightly to to get someone in. Otherwise, I think they're all pretty set. As we said, like budgets have been rolled back. Um, players have accepted reduced salaries, shorter contracts. So there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. I would have loved to have seen Leinster go out. I think Birch has mentioned this before and sign a really big, powerful, uh, probably in, in the in the second row. Um, but I haven't heard any names on that front, and and actually haven't heard much else. If if I had, you'd be reading it on the 42,
2: or hearing it on this podcast. Birch, you've broken plenty of transfer stories here <laughs> in the past. Some of which some of which don't seem to be get picked up to the extent no. that maybe they should.
1: Yeah, no, I think th- I'd, I'd say we're done. Bar as Murray said, a late injury, a Dennis Buckley dispensation. To, to be, they need another prop anyway. Um, Connor did so uh, with Paddy McAllister leaving. So um, yeah, I don't. I think it's done unless Leinster gets some money somewhere to, to bring in a Leinster have the non-Irish qualified spots. Um, obviously they need to get it pushed through with the review, but I don't think I think it's done. I think it's it. it's going to be very low. Um, Excitement value. We, we got our news early with the likes of Jenkins and, and Nakawara um, uh, but yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount happening. But you
0: mentioned earlier on we were chatting maybe James Cronin would make sense to Connacht like that would. Well, I, I again like
1: I you know I didn't agree with James Cronin not staying in Munster. I thought Munster needed more front rows rather than less. Um, but that's decisions being made now. And yeah, James Cronin like if you look at Connacht they should they would have lost to Munster only for Andy Friend took off his starting props in the 38 minutes and brought on Bieleman and and, and Buckley and against Treviso you know with Buckley going off after 40 seconds that was effectively the match I mean Treviso just took the game by the scrum and um, you know I I would worry for Connacht next year um, if they don't if Buckley's injury is as bad as it looked um, and if they don't get inadequate replacements Uh, and again James Cronin, wouldn't it be great to keep him in the system? Um, and I know it's expense and, and all that, but um, him going away, uh, James Cronin isn't a million miles away from being an international or being a starter for Ireland. If we had a few injuries, obviously with with Keane Healy, um, you know, being a, a little bit older, not having, we're not sure how long he's going to play on for. Um, I think Cronin in the Irish system would be great, but uh, and it would help Connacht. And again, that's the kind of thing you know we all say. all the Irish, you have to give the provinces foreign players yeah I think that's that's an added extra and it can make a huge difference but what about actually giving them the, the Irish qualified players the guys who are already internationals um, to help them and yeah it's uh, I think James Cron to Connacht would be a great boost for Connacht and him and Buckley You um, then you have two really experienced proven loose heads and I love you know Witcherly and Liam O'Connor potentially in Munster but I just think if you want to be winning the European Cup, which Munster do and and should be there, thereabouts, you know, you, if you have Kikoyan, Cronin, Witcherly, O'Connor, that's not an area of weakness. You know, it's not an area of weakness. You could argue the hooker, I would argue the hooker and tight edge, you need more depth there, but they're not going to get that now and haven't done a great job of bringing through Knox or Salanoa enough this year to know. How good they can be, but that's their own uh, choice. Um, Yeah, so for me, Chrono to Connacht would be a smart move for everybody.
2: One last question on Connacht. This one also came from Kieran and he was saying, with Andy Friend's comments about whether Abraham Papali'i will still be playing rugby union if he can't get his tackle technique sorted, is that very harsh for a coach to be saying publicly, specifically how he phrased it? Obviously they've put work into improving Papali'i and more needs to be done, but I can't imagine this will help a player's confidence or motivate them to do better if your coach is publicly questioning whether you're up to the task, especially as he recently agreed a new one-year deal. Should Friend have approached what he said differently? Sticking with yourself there, Brett, you know the land, language of coaching what did you make of that yeah look at
1: every time a coach speaks it's framed and uh unless they've completely lost the head um there's a a method behind us and Andy Friend is is very capable of of getting those messages across and framing his responses I think there's no secret that they've worked really hard with with um with Papalihi uh, in terms of his technique and they've been soft and they've been understanding and they've done the tackle tech and they've spoken to him and they've lost out because he's been banned and eventually you have to just, you know, call it. Because other players, it's not just him. It's the it's the rest of the team who have to finish a game with, with, with 14 and, and have to, you know, play without him. So uh, I think this isn't throwing the player under the bus. This is probably just his frustration. and wanting Abraham and, and everyone involved with Abraham to know that this can't continue. So uh, I think it's fair.
0: Murray? Yeah, well, it was definitely pointed. It was... Um... Something that he had kind of brushed away immediately after the match, but clearly had thought about it and wanted to get a, a strong message across, which you would imagine has been privately reiterated as well. Because like three red cards in his first season is just astronomical, isn't it? And now the impression is in people's heads, and you heard Jared Butler even say that it, it, during the game. Uh, it's just because he's a big guy, he's getting noticed. But but unfortunately, it's because he's hitting people in the head. Certainly, in two of the cases, they've been really bad ones. Connick felt the one against Zebra was harsh where there was a late change of direction from the, the ball carrier but I mean the last one was a, a five week ban we haven't heard yet what this ban is going to be but you would imagine they'll be extremely harsh with it given the really recent I suppose track record um, and he'll miss games in the, in the start of next season and he's a guy who we've seen when he's on the pitch he's unbelievably impactful and explosive and look like being really important going for, uh, going forward into into next season so it's massively frustrating for them and as i said on the podcast on monday for members like he has a massive responsibility to to get it right even with this example against benetton he's absolutely trying to make an impact i totally understand that that's his job but he's got massive uh scope there to go even slightly lower and still be quite dominant with it i think so yeah that work they're doing the time and effort they've put into him as a project having kind of brought him out of out of the blue, I suppose, in terms of a signing that we never really expected or anticipated, they want to see some some payback for that, which they've got in terms of his, his performances when he's been on the pitch, as I say, but I can totally understand the stronger message. Um, and I think it'll probably get a response. Like it's a it's an eye opener for Papali.
2: As Murray mentioned, their Rugby Weekly Extra on Mondays. He delved into Monsters' victory, Iconics' defeat with Owen Tool, and members.the42.e. And be sure to check out GAA Weekly as well, with Morris Brosnan, Fintan O'Toole, and Kerry legend Mark O'Shea. Okay, Murray, the biannual briefing. Uh, did you leave it with more questions or more answers this time around?
0: Always more questions, I suppose. Um, when you're in the, the briefings, in Fairness News 4, he's very good at um, fielding a question. Washing it round for a couple of minutes, and and you're kind of tracking along, and you, and then you realise after the fact when you're transcribing it that he never really said anything or gave you the detail you were looking for, you know. So loads of positive messages about club rugby being important, about the RFU are working away in the background to see what that interface between club and pro game will look like without any detail there. Uh, spoke about IQ rugby. We're going to see loads of different different players from even outside the UK coming in through that system, um, without mentioning names or or anything like that, um. And I suppose highlighting that he'd recontracted all the players that Irish rugby wanted to recontract um, heading into next season. Um, And generally, he feels that things are in reasonable health. He batted away a question about the RFU missing out on several of the targets in their own strategic plan. He's kind of just said, listen, that's something we write down um, and sport can change things very quickly. He thinks there'll be an upswing in form and in results um and yeah he thinks things are in pretty good nick interestingly enough he was kind of non-committal on his own future contracts up in 2022 the summer of and he spoke about obviously the the personal difficulties of of covid19 the pandemic and family he's obviously australian uh, and that is a, a tricky part of it um but he said there's plenty that they had hoped to do in the last 15 months that they couldn't get done um, and kind of left it at that. Didn't say, oh, yeah, I definitely want to stay here. So that'll be a fascinating part of it to to see as well. So yeah, I think more more questions than answers, as usually tends to be the
2: case. You got an email from Aina Haggerty. Uh, he said, Hi Murray, question for the pod: the IRFU are completely neglecting the Aol as a player pathway to professional rugby, but state that there is a small player base. And they set up the IQ system. Why is there not a club interpro series, or even organised games between the province A teams against a club provincial side, so like monster A versus monster clubs, to see if any players stand out at that level, or an underdog program like the GA did years ago, in which professional contracts are available, sevens or provincial, something in uh, something for which uh, the AIL players can aim. Bernard, I'll throw that to yourself because you touched upon it just before we were feeling Kieran Pearson's questions a moment ago about the IAL. We have also discussed this in the past, but I guess it's worth bringing back up in light of, of force comments.
1: Yeah, I think um, like this is one where they like sometimes people go, "Oh, lack of resource, etc." The the best resource we have is is actually in Ireland in terms of all the clubs and schools and population, um, and if you look at how much money and time and, and how, how big a part of the program it seems the high performance pathway the niq model is and the sevens model is which in reality um you know it'd be a small num- small amount of players who, who are ever going to come through that and i i just th- i think we've got it all wrong it'd be like you know the reason dublin are fo- are, are successful in ga is obviously got the structure right with population the reason Leinster are successful is the structure of population um, and, and for us as Irish rugby, as a team and as provinces, the the numbers are in Ireland. The numbers are in Ireland in the game spread across the whole country. That's where you have the best bang for your buck. And we spoke last week about, you know, non-traditional areas, West Dublin, Talley, et etc. Like, it's madness. I mean, we've three people full time in England, uh, in the UK, looking for, for no, um, not our Irish qualified talent. And like, where is the, where is the actual? benefits of that in terms of the amount of investment in it. and also at neglect I think if you had a domestic game that was completely aligned, motivated etc that's the that's the icing on the cake. The sevens is the icing on the cake. but it's like for us that's the only thing that really matters and actually um, actually what we we've all what we've done um, and the areas that we haven't tapped into that there is a lot of potential players supporters, et etc just marginalize them. Uh, it makes no sense to me, it absolutely. And I and I, know this, I know this is Welsh, so I'll give you the background to this. So when the WRU bought the Dragons, there was a frustration internally in the WRU that there wasn't enough being done by the four regions to recruit from the exiles program, okay? So they had a, a guy whose job was to develop um, depth charts and Excel sheets with contacts of these kids playing in England who are Welsh qualified right and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and they had a list down to 12 year olds etc and it looked really impressive you know a powerpoint presentation with hundreds of names different positions go take your pick right but when we actually i'm sorry the pressure was on me then because the wru bought the dragons the dragons is the nearest region to England the dragons had probably the poorest talent pool because obviously years of, of underspending we hadn't been able to keep our players we, we the academy had been closed down etc so we actually didn't need players so the pressure was on me to go and bring back all these exiles you know uh, it was like a pot of gold uh, Soul is a pot of gold uh but when you go when you go out there there's only a couple who actually are good enough you know what i mean and um like to say because obviously it's a far smaller number than are playing um, in in Wales, or a far smaller number that are playing in in the in the Becktives, in the colleagues etc. in 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 Ireland. There's just more more bodies, so obviously there's going to be more chance of, of more talent here. And I, and again, for sure, you know there's talent um, uh, that that can come back in Wales. In fairness, Ross Moriarty steeped in Welsh uh, rugby um, history from his father and his uncle. You know, went to Gloucester, played for England under twenties. I'm not sure whether he won a World Cup or won, or played in a World Cup final for England under twenties. But Wales knew that he was good enough to play for Wales. So they, you know, and I was part of bringing him back to Wales. So you don't lose out on many players by not having three full time guys over there, because um, the the cream will rise to the top. And when they become nineteen or twenty, their agents know if they're Welsh qualified, Irish qualified, Scottish qualified, etc. So you find out about them. You actually find out about him anyway. And then it's up to if Munster want to sign a, a Mike Cayley or you know Ulster want to sign a Will Addison, then they go and sign him. But they sign him based upon okay, they take into account he's Irish qualified, that's a help. But they actually judge him against, you know, what's in what's in Munster, Darren Sweetman or or whatever. You know, and you're judging like for like. Whereas this whole thing about there's there's hundreds of kids in England who are Irish qualified, yeah, there is and that's great. Um, but you'll find that they'll naturally go through the pathway anyway. Um and it's not necessarily the r f u who are helping them all the way through so i uh, and and the problem then as well is because of pressure because if the it well for me anyway, because the w r u were so into this idea that the regions should be bringing these guys back there's pressure then to give them a contract right and then if you do give them a contract and they're actually not as good as the domestic guys well then you're you're behind so i I just think that I'd love them to actually switch focus and go, right, all the money we're putting into Sevens, or sorry, some of the money we're putting into Sevens, some of the money you are putting into um, in our, our Irish qualified players abroad, or not even money, time, and actual uh, make-a-plan. Let's communicate with every club in Ireland, right? Let's communicate with every school in Ireland. Let's look at areas that we don't actually have any footprint, and let's give that a bash for three or four years, right? And let's go hard at that. And I'd be shocked if we actually hadn't got more players... Uh, coming through from that anyway. And Irish rugby was in a much better place with a stronger connection between the top and the bottom. Uh, I just think, like, uh, it's, it's, it's lovely, but it's, it's icing on the cake. It shouldn't be the fundamental. And some of the, some of the comments you hear about the, the propaganda about the sevens, you know, Will Connors played sevens. Yeah, he did. But, like, that didn't make Will Connors the player he is. The, the six years in Klangos, uh like, playing rugby every day, playing 15s every day, going into the sub academy, going into the academy that's what made them. and uh while it's nice for them to play a little bit of sevens the only way for me that sevens is a, is is a, is a viable option in terms of the 15s game it could be its own game within a game um is if they're getting players and athletes who aren't in a traditional pathway and they're so good at sevens and they become so skilled in rugby um that they can become viable options for the national game if not it's a separate game so yeah I think you know I was interested when Murray said oh David's very good at taking a question and washing it around and giving the answer and at first that's his job his job is to is to praise everything they do and I suppose as pundits our job is to actually question is that a good strategy and uh, does it really make sense and the whole idea about you know you have to put something on paper in terms of strategic plans I mean my job is in, in I sell market data to financial services so maybe I'm, I'm biased. Um, I'm also a salesperson, so every week I have to sit down with my boss and say, by the end of the week I'm gonna bring an ex, okay? And I have to commit to that. And obviously sometimes I miss, right? But I'm not just giving them a number off the top of my head and hoping it come comes off. I have to be held to account. And if I if I miss consistently, I'll be put on a performance plan. And if I continue to miss, I'll be I'll be let go. And likewise when financial institutions publish their annual accounts and the, the CEO speaks. The market moves. The market moves based on results because that's what people want. Did they say they are going to turn over X amount? Did they turn over X amount? Did it cost cut to this amount, etc.? So for me, I just think it's amazing that we have a strategic plan. That's apparently driving our strategy, but actually the measurables don't really matter. Only if you hit them, they're brilliant. And if we don't hit them, sure. You have to write down something. It was, it was mind-boggling. It was the most shocking thing for me from yesterday was that the things that we've all been saying, that's what we're chasing, that's what we're working towards, you know, semi-final of the World Cup, uh, the other KPIs across women's and national game, that they actually don't really, there's no, it was just put down on paper, like it doesn't matter.
2: Well, that leads us on to Kalon's question. Which was, Murray, on yesterday's National Field Day, that is the David Nusifor briefing day, should the Irish fans start to rethink expectations and opinions surrounding the game in Ireland. All throughout the silly season of contract talks, there was a lot of why did player X get a contract when my guy, player Y didn't so on and so forth add to that the inconsistent narratives and viewpoints about signings and departures and recent views that ireland's three successive third place six nations finishes are gigantic failures at boardroom level more than on the field should we as a fan base dial back our harshness when in reality our provinces are still relatively successful the national side are on paper probably the third best team in europe and maybe just maybe Revisit the fact that the Joe Schmidt days were a peak time and coming short of this success is not a failure. Uh, Niall echoed a lot of that. I won't read out Niall's message in full just because we need to get a move on here. But um, it's sad really to hear Kalon go down this route. (laughs) A passionate rugby fan, a knowledgeable rugby fan such as himself. For his expectations to have been diluted to this point where he's settling for being the third best team in Europe where there are really only six teams actually probably five
0: Mm, that's a very realistic viewpoint on things and absolutely valid and like the joe schmidt era was probably an overachievement but it shows what can be achieved with a really cohesive unified strategic approach that joe schmidt brought and in fairness he carried a whole lot of it it wasn't just with the ireland team he had his tentacles were everywhere in Irish rugby and he was a massive influence and I suppose you can credit a lot of that success to him not just the system Um I, I think Irish rugby should be aiming high absolutely like we've got this model that everyone talks about as being brilliant David News four flags all the time we've got this great model central contracts keeping players in Ireland um, not playing abroad like what's the purpose of it if you're not going to aim high and, and try to achieve six nations titles there aren't that many competitors in world rugby like it's bizarre that Irish rugby hasn't been in a semi-final of a World Cup when there's so few teams who are in any way competitive like I think it's been underachievement when you look at a longer uh, time period absolutely our our population is, is small but I think it should be ambitious in, in what it's trying to achieve and the worrying thing at the moment is that it, it looks to be going um, on a backwards scale like not just leveling off but actually slightly declining as news, as i said news 4 thinks there'll be an upswing he thinks it's very close but um i think there are a couple of worrying signs there as we've discussed across the board and that's just not a national level that's in the game the club game the disenfranchised people there and and as bernie mentions all those things like iq rugby and sevens they probably drive an even bigger wedge even over in the uk like there's a like a volunteer network over there called the IRFU exiles they have been doing amazing work for decades and decades um and seems to have just been vanished from the the face of the earth those people are still there trying to spot I- irish kids and doing a great job of that and many of the players who come and play underage rugby um still with ireland are are from people like that spotting them on the ground um and the sevens thing is yeah it is tricky for someone who's looking at the vast promotion of that even through the rfu's own uh, social media networks and websites and thinking you know the, the club game could do with that kind of boost and that kind of um, praise I suppose from David Nusifora so yeah there, there's all sorts of worrying signs there I think um, but I don't think Irish rugby should just settle for being middle of the road that's just not a an ambitious organisation an ambitious way to do things they should be aiming high and, and Joe Schmidt and his team showed that it can be it can be achieved
2: to be fair so did Declan Kidney and his team, and so did Eddie yeah. O'Sullivan and his team. Bernard, it's not just... Like, I understand completely Kalon's point about Schmidt, and there is, I think, an argument to be made uh, that Ireland overachieved towards the end of his reign, but we were aiming higher than third in Europe for the previous decade as well.
1: Yeah, we were, but I think that we've... Um, we're only getting to see now um, the results of probably trying to just completely focus on the only Jersey that matters is green Jersey and trying to dilute the identity of each province and having the provinces have more autonomy over, over what they do. I think what I'm sensing is a push to centralize everything. Right? The more like we're, and this is being slowly happening, more control for the RFU, um, the province having less say in how, how things are run. Uh, and I think that's a disaster for us because I don't know if, if I, I think the people, who have the the most uh, passion and the most uh, risk or uh, yeah or risk and reward is the people closest to the to the, having skin in the game and they're the people who a provincial level Um, so I think everything being run out of HQ you know um, everything ran by a model um, is is not helping us uh, and uh, we're getting further away from where we are and I think like 2018 there was still, strong rivalry in, in irish provincial rugby um and i think since then it's be it's it, by moving players around and not having actually focused on what Munster can produce what Connacht can produce what ulster can produce and then fill in the gaps but i i just think that everything is now oh rfu control everything you know we're told the RFU control the hiring of a ceo for the provinces from, uh, like that's that's too much for me you know that that's completely um, you know how how much does one person know about every single aspect of of running businesses, running provinces? Uh, it's for me, Munster should have autonomy uh, and be competing, fighting tooth and nail with the other four provinces or the other three provinces. Um, and I think that the more become and and, and that's across everything. That's across young players, you know, uh, other players. That's across their domestic game, how they produce players. They should be creating the best possible pathway for Munster because Ruby's not new in Munster. Ruby's been in Munster for as long as it's been, and you're nearly as long as it's been in Leinster or other parts of the world. You know, Connacht as well. Connacht have to have their own bespoke um, model in terms of how they're going to do things. But if everything is coming down via some model sent from the RFU, um, like I, and I, I also think the best people are in the provinces rather than necessarily in HQ, you know, like that's just the nature of it. The best people, tend to want to work at the performance end of it and the performance end of it unless you're coaching the national team in ireland is leinster munster ulster and Connacht, um ch- chance to win a european cup or a pro 14. so I, I i fear that the centralized model has been pushed too far and i i think if you let the provinces um create their own uh, way of doing things obviously there's the, the players are contracted IRFU the so there has to be boundaries but I, I think we're getting further away from success, and and this is, it's nonsense to say that third is where we should be. We should always be looking to be winning it every every so often, um, and in the top two. Because Wales is the perfect example. The what Wales are doing without you know half the money we have, um, and you know very, a smaller population. Okay, people say it's the it's a national game, but you go on and see how many kids are playing soccer in Cardiff and Swansea now um you know uh, wales have overachieved and that's great they that they, they see that as being testament to them i would say we underachieve um and that that can't be allowed to happen and, and and it's not just it's across talent id it's across referees it's across coaching every single area are underperforming in my opinion and you know if, you, if you're underperforming in all areas you're going to just get mediocrity
2: well there is a kind of a mastermind complex at hq bernard and You and I and Murray have probably alluded to it in the past, or at least I remember saying to you guys, like we're bad at sports governance in this country, not just in rugby. It's a problem across a number of sports and has been for decades. We're actually bad at governance, I think. As soon as a guy is wearing a suit for too long in Ireland, he becomes a problem down the line. And when you have a very small number of people pulling all of the strings and in control of everything, it's only natural that groupthink sets in. And when we do this podcast and when you guys raise issues that you believe exist in irish rugby there's often feedback going no you're wrong uh, this is where we're doing everything so brilliantly and i genuinely think there are delusions in the view that everything is going swimmingly because they're not open to uh, any sort of an outside challenge and uh, eventually this kind of uh, consensus forms that everything is rosy in the garden when if you open your eyes or smell the roses they're they're not particularly uh, nice looking at six nations tables looking at uh say the provinces in Europe over the last couple of years so like how does that change or can it be changed
0: just just one of the worrying things on that like is that now the financial situation isn't great like they lost 35 million last year 30 million this year again it's 4 hammer at home need to get crowds back in and saying that listen we weren't able to do the stuff we wanted to do in a whole lot of development areas because of the pandemic um and it's like it's obviously a valid reason, but it's also you would hope not going to be an excuse moving forward not to try and push these things on. Like an an organisation like the RFU has to have ambitious objectives that aren't, as Byrne says, just related to the Ireland team. Having a really vibrant, connected, um, aligned to the pro game AIL, it should be as just high a higher target for them. You know that's not the case at the moment. Speak to anyone in the club game, and they're worried about the direction that's moving in as well. So it shouldn't just be about those headline targets as well. You look at that strategic plan and the All-Ireland League, it basically isn't mentioned in there. Like there's pages and pages of bullshit in there and the All-Ireland League, I think, is in fine print in the kind of terms and conditions at the bottom or whatever it is. It's not really part of the strategy. Um, So that kind of stuff is as important in terms of objectives and that all contributes towards a, a healthier
1: end product at the very top. Just on that, money obviously you know that's going to be excuse honestly the domestic game if you do it properly the volunteers will actually do 90 percent of the work you know you get actually um, a competition structure that that motivates them that attracts them they will they will run with that and they've done it for years you know it's actually the problem is now that they don't actually and the fact that it's barely mentioned in the strategic uh, plan you know isn't a, isn't a great sign, or it is? It, it's kind of proves where we feel it's at. So yeah, I, I think that the the mo- the money issue is not the problem. It's it's actually connecting and creating a, a vibrant um, domestic game is is what's needed.
0: Because it, one of the other interesting things that News 4 did admit yesterday was that Irish rugby, I mean no breaking news headlines here, is too reliant on the school system. He said, yeah, it is, uh, and he spoke about. Listen, we've been looking at ways to get into non-traditional areas of of the country but as we've discussed in, in depth probably in this pod where is that like what are we missing what have we not seen if it was really the case that we plaster all over their website every single week and we, we it would be in our faces so we're not really seeing that and that is a big issue again for irish rugby like it's handy to rest on the laurels and take in the the top schoolboys every year it's a brilliant system i would never knock anyone involved in that. i think it's doing unbelievable work in irish rugby but you've got to look beyond that and you've got to have different strands um, and build different ways of getting players through and just having people in the game playing rugby that aren't even going to be pros at all um, because that's part of a healthy sport as well.
1: Yeah, just Murray, absolutely, I don't disagree with that at all, but the schools are doing the, schools are doing the work for themselves mm. as well. I mean, mm. like, they're not very much... The RFU haven't gone into uh, all the schools and said, this is what you need to do. They've been doing this for donkey's years, right? And they're they're producing players um, because that's what that's what they do. It's, it's a sport they play in their school and there's a, a very good comp- good competition in Munster, Leinster and Ulster that has kudos for those players and parents and past pupils, etc. So the competition has looked after that. So absolutely, yeah, we are very reliant on it. But we actually, the people who are saying they're too reliant on it haven't actually really um, built it Okay, so what have they built? Like, I mean, it's as if they've been so focused on the, on the school's game for the last 20 years and now they've said, shit, we're too reliant on that. They actually haven't done that. So what have they done? What have they actually done in the meantime? Like, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm coaching my old school um, and, and Leinster, you know, Leinster help out a little, uh, et cetera. There's no, I have no complaint against Leinster in that. But the reality is, it's the carrot of the players wanting to play for their school in a competition in third year and in, in in sixth year, um, that means a lot to them. And they have consistent fixtures in first year, second year, you know, fourth year, fifth year, where they play the same guys uh, every Saturday. You know, the same schools, etc. So the competition looks after their development, and you can argue that they're not coming out skillful enough or athletic enough or whatever. But like, they're they're doing their job to a certain extent. They are producing players, and those players are getting to play for Leinster and Ireland and Munster, etc. So why haven't what have you done in the meantime? to actually create the people who don't come from schools. Like that's that's the argument. You know what I mean? And like it's now twenty twenty one. I mean this isn't rocket science. If, if David Nushafor took over in nineteen ninety one, he could have said the same thing, we're two reliant on schools. You know, so it, it, this shouldn't be a surprise.
2: Murray, in a paragraph The games this weekend Connacht going to or sorry Connacht hosting the Ospreys Leinster away to Glasgow and Ulster are away to Edinburgh the first two games are tomorrow Ulster away to Edinburgh on Saturday give me your predictions thoughts
0: Leinster to win they're still in the hunt Um. Connacht are playing an Ulster team around the hunt, and their season is ending uh, on this kind of damp squib. As are Ulster who are the bare bones of their squad, they've COVID cases, people in isolation, and um, close contacts, and a couple of injuries as well. So a tough one for them away from home. But it'd be nice to see the the Connacht and Ulster squads finish on a bit of a high after disappointing final few months of the season before they before they switch attention to getting better next year.
2: Murray, thanks, Emil, as always. Cheers, enjoyed it. Bernard, thank you thanks lads catch you soon thanks to everybody at home for all of your uh, listenership questions thanks to all the 42 members in the Whatsapp group and beyond members.the42.e if you want to join them in there support our independent sports journalism enjoy the rugby over the weekend we will be back on Monday with Murray and Owen and back next Thursday otherwise till then take it easy I don't
0: think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field
2: Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't go <laughs> Roby Roby Weekly. Then in